0: Welcome, 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 caring people to another episode of On The Way Home. Why do I say caring people? Well, listen, I'm pretty sure the people that listen to this podcast, uh, it's definitely not my kids, it's not their style, but it's people that uh, kind of care about housing, homelessness, health, that type of of thing. So thank you for joining us on another episode. We are so blessed on this show uh, because there's so many brilliant people uh, from across Canada, around the world that are doing amazing, insightful work. Uh, they help educate and bring awareness uh, to the sector. So, you know, week after week, and today's guest is, is no exception. Uh, the podcast is brought to you by the good folks at Blue Door, where I work. It's an organization up in York region that kind of serves uh, everything north of Toronto. So, mostly York, a little bit of Durham and uh, Peel as well. And of course, our amazing friends at the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness, who just had a giant conference. Uh, it was the first in-person and virtual, but a first-in-person conference in a couple of years for obvious reasons, very successful, great conference. And at that conference, there were just some brilliant people uh, dropping knowledge, and that brings us to our guest today. So I have David, uh Dave Allier with me today. Now, I'm going to call him Dr. Dave because I, I refuse to continue butchering his last name. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, Dave. Aside from being a podcaster himself, um, he is a postdoctoral scholar at the Human Rights Research Education Center and the Canadian Housing Evidence Collaborative, and he's published uh, on he has published on housing rights, housing policy, homelessness, and socioeconomic rights in Canada and the world. His current research projects include the right to shelter in Canadian law and the impact of the Charter. On homeless in and this is a lot of what we're going to talk about today so love having uh, him on now during the conference that happened a couple of weeks back uh dr dave and i got we got talking and man like the time just flew by because this guy is brilliant uh passionate smart and you know so i'm so excited for him to join us today dr dave welcome to the show
1: uh thanks mike uh it's a pleasure to see you again uh and that's that was quite an intro and i hope i live up to the hype <laughs> i i am no doubt you will okay. now if you get past this first question though this is the tough
0: one uh, okay. because there's no right or wrong answer really there's better answers uh, mm-hmm. and that is what does home mean to you
1: yeah what does home mean to you it's pretty open-ended um it for me home is is uh, security. Home is is family. Home is where I do my thinking. Home is where I work. Um, I think, in short, home means everything to me. Um, and as somebody who's who's uh, who's a professional researcher, uh, an academic, I think I'd probably spend more time at home uh, than, than most folks.
0: Absolutely. And when you and I met a couple of weeks ago, we talked a little bit about home and the reality of home for so many. And we were talking about, uh, we were talking about how Canadians have this almost obsession with home ownership. We have to own, we have to own. I think that's partially because our parents pushed us. Why are you giving someone else your money, throwing it in the air where they don't really realize, I mean, renting is the cost of housing, you know, whatever, but you know, we're obsessed with this. And, And I think at the time you said, Hey, look, you know, my, myself, my family—I don't know if we'll ever own a home. Right? It's a different right. generation, it's a different time, and I think yeah. people have to uh kind of come yeah. up to terms with that. Because when we talk about homelessness, we're not talking necessarily mm-hmm. about home ownership, right. which often grabs a lot of the headlines. So when you know when they're saying they're going to pour money into affordable housing, right? Much of that money is around home yeah. ownership, but that's not yeah. where where I'm focused or necessarily uh, you are as well. Any thoughts around that?
1: Yeah no I I mean I think uh we we spoke about it um and uh I I still think uh that that there's an overemphasis on home ownership and I think it it's for political reasons you know I don't think um yeah. a lot of thought is given to the homeless issue um and certainly when it comes to the sort of public discussion around housing uh, so much of it is about, uh, you know, the middle class in Canada. And I understand why politically that makes sense. But, um, you know, more and more, I think uh, people are kind of waking up to this reality, which is that uh, for for the younger generation, and certainly um, it's buying a house and especially the kind of housing that, you know, used to represent the ideal, I get Canadians, which was more that sort of detached kind of single family home. Um, that's just out of reach for for most of us. And uh, never mind those of us who are, who are experiencing homelessness. Uh, so, yeah, there needs to be a rethink, I think, uh, in Canada with with respect to, you know, housing and, and the way that. Uh, The relationship, I guess, that that with housing. So I want to pick up on something you you just
0: mentioned as well. You mentioned the middle class, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you from a blue door perspective and talking to some of my colleagues in the sector that we're seeing uh, more and more of middle class people actually experiencing homelessness where um, they're in our emergency services, such as shelters. We're seeing people that are actually working full time, not making a living wage so maybe not working class but we're seeing a lot of what has been called before the working poor working where that wasn't the situation before right mm-hmm. where hey mm-hmm. i just the 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 gap between my income and what someone mm-hmm. even wants for rent now right is, is too large for me to overcome without a little bit of help mm-hmm. and, and uh, help from the system um so and it was funny i toronto counselor that that wasn't running this time around said you know 10 years ago when she tried to get uh, a headline in the paper around homeless sister housing couldn't do it she said and now you hear i mean this past election municipal election ontario um mm-hmm. that's all people were talking about it was huge and she said that's because it is now affecting the middle class mm-hmm. to your kind of point around a hey, politically when it starts to affect the middle class who are your voters a, big, a large number of your voters right. that it becomes something politically that i care about
1: yeah, the, yeah, it, it's kind of a sad statement, I guess, but I, I do think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of truth to that. That there, you know, these issues sort of gain traction uh, when we see um, kind of more and more, uh, you know, sort of middle class uh, families uh, complaining uh, about the housing situation um and you're absolutely right when you say the face of homelessness I mean, I mean this is your department so i'm not telling you anything you don't know but the face of homelessness has changed dramatically you know and it's no longer the, the sort of uh, i guess stereotype that most canadians have of the you know elderly man uh single man living on the street it it's 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 families it's kids it's um it's uh working people it's people who have jobs uh it's people with education you know uh that that, that historically uh the housing market uh was able to uh was able to accommodate and and we see that you know that type of of affordable housing is just becoming more and more scarce uh, so yeah it's reached the crisis levels I mean it's been a you know talking about the housing crisis is almost misleading because you know at what point does this thing uh go beyond a crisis and become something sort of structural and permanent you know what I mean uh it, it it's it, and it's also reached critical mass as far as public opinion and that's where you know your friend who's a former counselor and uh, is noticing that uh, the political class and the chattering class in this country all of a sudden uh, talking about housing uh, you know every single day we see stories uh, about housing and homelessness and that's a good thing, right I mean that kind of exposure that was so hard to get before is now much more common. And, uh I'm glad to see it because uh you know it, it that's adds pressure uh to certainly to the to the to the government and to the policymakers um to act you know um so that's that's a positive development um but uh it's long overdue and it, and it's kind of it feels like the political class in Canada is reacting to a crisis that uh you know, that could have been prevented in a lot of ways had they had some foresight. But, you know, I, I don't think your podcast is about, uh, is so much about politics, right?
0: Well, listen, government plays a, a large part in uh, preventing and ending homelessness, but mm-hmm. it's another kind of uh, trail we won't go down. Absolutely. No. We've talked about prevention on this podcast. You can't really end homelessness if you don't prevent right. the waves of, of coming into it uh, for sure. Right. But let's talk about something that you've done a lot of work about, you've wrote about, you've researched about, mm-hmm. and that is the right to housing. Now, mm-hmm. David, we, we see this kind of bantered around and we're talking the right to housing mm-hmm. now, you know, it's so great that it was legislated the, the right to housing. Great. And everyone's really excited about it. The big question usually is what the hell does that mean? Like, what mm-hmm. does that actually mean to people like it? And so when we're talking about it, you know, I have the right to housing. How does that change things? Um, could you, in kind of Cole's note version or, or, or in layperson terms, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's such a big topic. And I think the term can be a little vague. Um, and uh, so just to provide, you know, some context, I guess, to these the, the listeners, um, basically the right to housing uh, is a right that started um, – In the 70s, uh, when the sort of human rights revolution was happening, uh, and at the international level, uh, the right to housing was recognized um, as a social and economic right, Um, and it was also, at the same time, being established in dozens of constitutions around the world, Uh, so it was legally recognized uh, in many uh, states and in in many um, uh, domestic uh, legal frameworks um, but I think you know in a more uh, I guess, layperson's person's perspective, uh, the right to housing, if you really want to understand it concretely, it's the cornerstone of so many other rights that are really fundamental. So if you think about the right to housing being uh, essential to the right to life, the right to privacy, the right to health, uh, the right to family, and so on and so forth, Uh, I think that's a better way to really conceptualize it. And I think in terms of the Canadian right to housing, um, the legal meaning of the right to housing in Canada has really undergone a massive shift uh, in recent years. Um, And of course, I'm referring to the the 2019 uh, National Housing Strategy Act, uh, that was passed, uh, and of course, uh, I'm thinking of the appointment of the federal housing advocate. I know you've had uh, Marie Jose Houle on the show, so uh, your listeners are familiar with that. Um, so the formal laws of Canada have finally enshrined uh, a version of the right to housing, um, and that means that there is a kind of human rights framework in place in this country for the progressive realization of uh, the right to adequate housing, which is the term that's used by the NHSA. Now, there's an open question, and we talked about this last time, about the way that that right can be enforced, whether you can take the government to court to claim that right, um, and so on. And that is, uh, that hasn't been tested yet. So uh, it still remains to be seen uh, whether we have a fully legal right to housing or something else. And I think I think it's fair to say that at this point, uh, we don't have what I would call a fully legal right. Uh, that is a, a right that is actionable that you could actually uh you know you can you can uh, base a legal claim uh on it uh so we do have we do have a, a, a an amazing new kind of mechanism for the right to housing which is pretty complex but certainly addresses some of the more systemic uh issues in the housing market so whether you're talking about discrimination or financialization, gentrification, uh, you know, some of the barriers to housing that people face. Uh, I think those are issues that the new federal housing advocate has already made a priority. Uh, But in terms of an individual right to housing, um, we've got a long way to go.
0: Yeah, yeah. And thank you for that. I mean, it really is like how do we how do we give this teeth, right? So and I, I think of um I believe it's Wales that has the uh, duty to assist built in. So mm-hmm. and, and they talk about different boroughs or whatever. So they said yeah. hey, here, these are our priority groups that and I believe it works within two weeks, if if they're not housed, they could take mm-hmm. some kind of legal action or there's some kind of recourse. Or if you that's remember, right
1: yeah it's it's uh one of the case studies that i've i've looked at in the past uh, for my research uh especially with regards to housing first and and homelessness uh in uh on the international level uh so looking at sort of foreign jurisdictions where there is already a right uh, to housing, particularly for homeless people experiencing homelessness. So and the UK is a is a tremendous example. Um, there is uh, there is under their National Homelessness Act. Uh, there is a, a, a right uh, to to housing if you register as a, as as homeless with your council. Councils being the sort of most local form of government in the UK. Um, and as far as, uh, you know, the, the duty to provide housing, um, goes, I think you might be right. I'm not, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit unclear on, on all the details, uh, how that actually works in practice, but it does on paper, uh, you can sue your council if they don't uh, find housing for you within a certain period of time. So you're right about that. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Yeah. And
0: I remember now I can't even remember saying we had someone from Wales come on and talk about All that, right. and, and he said, uh, he said, you know, does it happen? Not very often. Right. But it puts that kind of pressure on the mm-hmm. team to know, you know, it, it puts that immediacy out there to say, we got to do this quick or, yeah. you know, so, which doesn't exist. Of course, uh, of course, in Canada. Right. Uh, So let's talk about that right to housing. Uh, We've had, you know, everyone complains, of course, about the last two and a half, three years, Mm -hmm. almost three years now, the pandemic. But of course, it's been the hardest on our most vulnerable. How did this law kind of play out or how how was it violated even Mm -hmm. more so during the Mm -hmm. pandemic?
1: Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, It's a very complex subject. It's the, it's the subject of the paper that I'm currently working on with one of my co-authors, Sarah Hamill. Um, and it's, uh, the, the, what I presented on actually at the, the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness Conference, um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, you know, I think it's fair to say that, um, what we've seen during the pandemic, uh, is, an, ex- an explosion really in the number of people experiencing homelessness and uh i think a uh, uh, a corollary to that is the is the growth of of so-called tent cities encampments um which are really you know communities uh of people that are banding together to better cope with uh, the the you know uh, challenges of of living um, without a house, uh, without shelter. So, you know, I guess you know what we were just talking about in terms of what does a progressive right to housing mean for somebody who's you know sleeping rough, who's living on the street, and the and the answer is sadly not much. You know, that doesn't really mean much to somebody who is trying to survive. Um, and, you know, the progressive right, as I said before, that's, that's uh, legislated now in Canada is, is by definition. It's slow and it requires governments, federal governments, provincial governments, municipal governments to implement it through the creation of more social housing, housing first programs and so on. Now, on the other hand, and this is where uh, my, my research uh, might be useful, uh, we see a number of cases uh, going through the court system in various provinces. I'm thinking primarily of Ontario and BC that uh, have recognized the right to shelter uh, in encampments, in public spaces, and that that right is protected by the Charter, um, so that evicting people uh, that are living uh, in these encampments without providing an alternative, for example, homeless shelter beds, is potentially a violation of their fundamental rights, including the right to security of the person in, in Section 7 of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Uh, and one of the things that, that myself and, and Sarah have uh have discussed and and are are working on in this paper is that, you know, this notion that uh, the courts are talking about a right to shelter, but they're not talking about a right to housing. And what does that really mean? Well, it's kind of a distinction without a difference, you know, because in reality, there can't be any meaningful right to shelter without um, acceptance of a right to housing in Canada. So it's a kind of, it's a very fine kind of legalistic Way of looking at things, um, and I think your question was also about the way that the COVID nineteen pandemic, and in particular some of the, the health protocols, uh, were kind of putting pressure on the right to, to housing. Is that was that right? Did I understand that? Yes, yeah, that's correct. Okay, so yeah, so. Uh, that that has become that has become one of the, the thorniest issues, I think, um, because, uh, and again, this is this is in the paper that um that we're working on right now is that during the COVID pandemic we've seen uh, a very specific kind of case, which is it touches on the right to shelter, but we're calling these cases the duty to shelter cases because. Basically, what you're seeing is this tension between the uh, duty that uh, has been introduced in most provinces, in fact, all provinces, duty to shelter in place, and yet, on the other hand, a recognition that there is a right to shelter uh, in encampments across Canada. So you have this the, the, this very delicate kind of balancing act, uh, and... Uh, dealing with this tension between these public health measures uh, again the requirement to shelter in place but on the other hand the right to shelter for people experiencing homelessness um, and living in in public spaces and generally speaking we're talking about uh, public uh, public land usually parks so uh, yeah it's it's um it's it's a very uh, it's a very tough legal problem that that courts have been dealing with in a number of different ways, uh, and homeless encampments uh, have also been uh, going to courts and in some cases winning uh, their legal battle uh, to gain some form of security and some form of of, of recognition for their for their right to shelter uh, in public spaces, so it, it's been—you know—this is an ongoing thing. It's—it's it's a very—it's a—it's—it's it's a very rapidly kind of developing, um, you know, area of of lit- litigation and of, of human rights law in Canada, and it's still kind of a, a gray area. And so, in this this paper that I'm working on. Um, you know, we're looking at the different examples of case law where in some cases judges have ruled in favor of the encampments and in other cases they've ruled against the encampment. So what's, you know, what, what's the pattern? What's the difference between these two kinds of, uh, of outcomes?
0: Well, I think it becomes more and more important, right? Because from a frontline, um, kind of view from, from my team, and what we're seeing more in the GTA and across uh, Ontario, probably across Canada, is that during COVID, one of the silver linings was that when we had government resources and political will, man, did we mobilize quickly. We opened up yeah. hotels, we opened up all these new sites. Now, yeah. that wasn't forever because these yeah. hotels, they weren't permanent. Um, wow. And, and the, the real fact is, we're seeing this across the GTA, is that we had to scale those back. Now, some of them were purchased, mm-hmm. some of them are forever, but wow. not all of them. And when you take away hundreds of spots in New York region when you take away 80 spots that you don't replace and the need through Mm -hmm. inflation has gotten higher higher, right? We don't have enough every the the system is way over capacity right right now. Yeah. Pushing people again, uh taking away choice. And I think choice is important to recognize Mm -hmm. as well. When you're in you know that was part of the pushback when they're saying yeah we're going to a campus where we're offering people shelter. They're saying it's not really a choice. That kind of shelter I don't feel safe right I'm here I mm-hmm. know I could go to that emergency shelter, yeah. right? But I don't feel safe there. I don't want to share a room. My health, you know, I, I feel healthier out here. I, I yeah. don't want it. And so there's a lack of choice. So when you don't have choice, that's one thing. And that lack of choice is getting smaller, smaller. So sort of like, they're really because we're at capacity, and so mm-hmm. you're seeing encampments, unfortunately, continue to grow. I don't know if we're going to be able to, you know, of course we're going to be able to reverse that trend, mm-hmm. but in the, in the short term. I think this, this right to housing, in these cases you're talking about, and the research you're doing is going to, the outcome of that um, and, and the work that comes out of that is going to be so important.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. So, what you're saying, it, it actually is reflected in the case law. Because when you study these cases, uh, one of the good things that they're doing in, in many of these decisions is they get on the record the testimony. Uh, first-hand accounts—that is, usually affidavits from residents in the encampments—and the social workers that are helping put together these cases uh, are doing an excellent job of documenting just how difficult it is for people to get into emergency shelters, uh, to stay in emergency shelters. Uh, so, exactly, when you say that this is uh, the the dilemma is. That the the courts are trying to find the alternative to the encampments, and they and and often that is to put someone in an emergency shelter. And as you say, during the during the COVID pandemic, there were more options because there was the requisitioning of hotels. We have that here in Montreal as well, but that has gone. Uh, and so this notion that uh, and you'll see the, the analysis in some of these decisions that, oh, you know, the city has done its job. They've shown that there's enough space in the local emergency shelters, there's enough capacity to absorb these people, that there's no re- no reason for people to stay on the street. Well, uh, the counter argument to that, and that that comes from the evidence that's documented by often by the litigants, that is the people living in these encampments, is there are all kinds of of obstacles if you want to get into a homeless shelter and in many cases that means things like you're not allowed to bring animals uh you have to be sober uh you know you couples uh, are sometimes not allowed to stay together uh you know there's there's age limits some 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 homeless shelters will not take uh people under a certain age so You've got a wide variety of of challenges uh, for people to get off the street. Uh, and then, as you say, choice is really quite important. And then when you're talking about the right to housing or the right to shelter, uh, you know, choice is essential. It's very crucial in the in in any any uh, conception of the right to housing that the, the person who's exercising that right be given a choice. So, you know, is it a choice when the police are breathing down your neck and basically you are forced, you being marched out of your encampment, you know, uh, and told that you can't come back. And in some cases, you know, tents are being destroyed. People's lives are being upended. Uh, by police action, uh, and I understand that this is a nuanced issue, and that there's you know use of a public of public land is 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 a delicate legal question. There's lots of people will make this point. Will say that yes, public parks are not meant to be camping grounds, you know, and that is that is true. But on the other hand, if somebody is using a, a tent. In order to survive, in order, literally, because it's a matter of life and death in Canada. Let's let's be honest. This is one country where you know you cannot sleep outside in minus thirty degrees. Well, a right to life maybe takes precedence over some of the other privileges that you enjoy with regards to public land. So, anyhow, uh, it, it's it's definitely. It's 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 a question that's that that is is going to get even more difficult because we are still seeing the effects of COVID. It is we're not out of the woods. We're still seeing uh, a, a growth in the homeless, the population of homeless uh, Canadians, uh, and we're seeing we're still seeing uh, the the issue of homeless encampments, you know, being confronted with. Uh, the 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 public authorities, whether it's public health or safety, policing, you name it. So these are cases that we're just going to see more and more of them going through the court system.
0: Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's, it's truly unfortunate. Um, you know, I was thinking today I was reading in the the Toronto Star today. Uh, Toronto is facing a massive. The city of Toronto is facing a massive deficit and so the latest ontario provincial budget they have said yeah we are not going to put funds towards that to help you out or bail you out and so now it, it is you know fingers crossed that the feds will step up right when and i do. say this because municipalities are not allowed to carry a deficit so right. the alternative to that mayor john has said hey look we're gonna to have to cut services drastically right. hike hike up taxes which all right if we're being fair in toronto taxes are extremely low you know maybe they should have been you know we right. shouldn't be so fixated on that mm-hmm. but the, the you know the right now the capacity and they're talking about the cost of um homelessness or the capacity if they were to cut there it'd just be devastating um across the board there's not a lot of efficiencies yeah. when i look at people have done this right and we, we talked about this to where we're going to over and over and over again. Everybody talks about Finland. But one of the things that Finland's done well is just what we just chatted about, Mm -hmm. choice, right? So Mm -hmm. Finland had 652 emergency um, spots and now they've got 50, right? It's not because they did one thing in one year. This was 20 years of progressive Mm -hmm. thinking of Mm -hmm. different types of housing. You talk about housing Mm -hmm. for individuals Mm -hmm. with supports, housing for Mm -hmm. seniors, housing Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. women, housing Mm -hmm. for, you know, like all different types, semi-independent, uh, dependent living, income supports, right? I think, you know, really it's, it's frustrating because at the end of the day, really what it comes down to is we need deeply affordable, all sorts of different kinds of housing. There are mm-hmm. also, you know, supports around income supports, a lot of what we're seeing. So what mm-hmm. they'll tell you in the, in the greater Toronto area is about 80% of people that go into emergency housing, they go in, they're quickly rehoused and we never see them again. And then yeah. there's 20%, of course, that are chronically homeless, that have different needs, right? We work with right. them. But that 80% that 80 percent of people is going to shrink as income supports, right? Income supports just have not kept up with rising rents, inflation, different things happening, right? right. So much in fact in Ontario, we talk about this quite often, if you're receiving Ontario Works or disability, those mm-hmm. rates are below what they were in 2015 because the government of that day made a 21% cut that we've never recovered. We've never come back up yeah. to what rates were before that. Right. So imagine, sorry, 25, I said 1995, sorry, 1995 was when that, that happened. And we, right. we saw 1995 income rates for people right, in, in a 2022 world where things are drastically right. more expensive. So the income gap is just, just massive. Uh, so we need some, we need to rethink our income supports. We need to rethink totally. how quickly uh, we are building. Uh, truly deeply affordable housing and yeah. and then encampments we do that right mm-hmm. there, there won't be a need to have this encampment conversation right because we'll have choice right. and options um right you know moving forward yeah yeah i mean, I mean so, you, sure. your work is going to influence that too so so i mean really I hope so uh, well listen we have we talked about uh, on this this podcast before mm-hmm. uh Homelessness really became a crisis with bad policy. The only thing that's going to get us out of it, or one or of the keys to it, is good policy. Good policy is informed by the work that
1: you and your colleagues and researchers do. So, so it's you, yeah. so appreciated
0: and so important.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, the Canadian Housing Evidence Collaborative is is a really good example of a team a network of researchers across the country who are dedicated to to evidence-based policies um and working on really every facet and that's something we haven't had i mean this is this is uh, uncharted territory we're in because uh previously canada was you know really lagging behind you know other countries in this in this area i mean you know this idea of uh we didn't even have a housing minister you know <laughs> until uh, until like 2019 uh so you know, we, we were not at, at a national level. And I mean, I know that, you know, this is one of the, the recurring uh, debates in Canada, right? Because it's very provincial and municipal and everything else and housing should and homelessness uh is is often it's often looked at as uh well that's the provinces and that's the municipal government so you know what can the feds really do about it well there's turns out there's a lot they can do one of those things is investing in evidence-based research you know so that they can as you say uh they can they can create um uh data you know that's reliable up-to-date um that, that can be used by policymakers and lawmakers, you know, when they're making these decisions uh, so that we don't end up in a, in a, you know, a situation where uh, it's just sort of politicized. I mean, everything of, of course is going to be politicized, especially in this day and age, but it, 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 if you can, if you can say, and I think homelessness and housing first programs are a really good example of this. If you can prove uh, that housing first, and there are many studies that do prove that housing first can can reduce chronic homelessness. Uh, then you know, most most reasonable people will get behind it. I mean, it's not that that kind of makes it, even though it, it can be a bit overly simplistic, but it it, it does make the the case a lot easier. Uh, and researchers have done that, I think uh, very successfully in Canada. And of course, uh, you mentioned Finland. I mean, uh, being a world leader, and they really—they have proven, they've demonstrated that you can do it on a large scale, and you can get amazing results. And in, in, I mean, they started in the early 2000s uh, with their anti-homelessness strategy, and and uh, you know, the results uh, are are being studied now by people like me and around the world. Uh, so, yeah, it, it it can we can. Uh, and homelessness uh, through, you know, uh, a collaboration of, of uh, stakeholders, of governments, of researchers, uh, volunteers. Um, and I think most Canadians would agree that this is egregious. This is something that we should be doing as a country. This should be a priority. So I, I do feel like some of uh, my research, you uh, is is contributing to the discussion that we're having right now and i and i do hope that uh especially uh with regards to the human rights aspect of it that that you know some of the the, the work that i put out there can be helpful
0: well let's talk about where people can access that so if people want to check out your work uh, sure. current previous where do they go
1: uh, well, this is the part of the interview where I get the plug, right? So let's, let's do this. Uh, I've been waiting for this. So the most obvious place is, uh, is Twitter. Um, so I'm, I'm quite active on Twitter, uh, and you can find me. Just type in my name. There aren't that many dib in the world, so you'll find me there. LinkedIn is another place where I'm, I'm you know, spending way too much of my day, you can also check out my papers my presentations uh that uh, that have been published uh and that have already been given uh on google scholar uh i'm also on academic dot that's edu um and finally uh and i i have to do this uh to for the sake of my uh my friends at harbinger media there's the housing party podcast, which I think you mentioned uh, at the top of your show. Uh, I'm a podcaster, very part-time, but uh, I am a podcaster. And our last episode came out uh, in, in October and uh, it's available through all the, the usual platforms. Uh, we actually interviewed a guy named Daniel Villarreal, who's a human rights lawyer right here in Montreal, and we looked at we looked at some of the strategies that he uses to defend tenants from uh, wrongful evictions, and we, you know, explained how you can uh, you can use the law, you can use uh, certain uh, legal strategies if you're facing a rent eviction. Uh, and he's a guy who, uh, he's in the trenches, you know, if you will, he's, uh, at our landlord tenant board almost every day, uh, and dealing with, uh, dealing with, uh, evictions. So, you know, it, it's that kind of show. It's a show that has, uh, it, that, that, that has housing rights at its core. That's, that's what we do. It's called the housing party. And it, yeah. I recommend it. I recommend it too,
0: guys. You know, Check <laughs> it out, Housing Party, anywhere you find podcasts. Exactly. It's important work. If you want to be educated, if you want to be a part of the solution, you have to have knowledge um, and they're dropping plenty of knowledge on this podcast as we do uh, on this podcast. Uh, David, thank you so much for the important, impactful work that you're doing. And thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show today.
1: Thanks for having me, Michael. I, I really enjoyed it. Very cool. Well, There you
0: have it. I mean, quite often we have people on the front lines or we have people that have uh, come up with new housing solutions and that type of thing. Not often enough do we have the researchers, the academics on this that are doing really, really important and impactful work that are going to inform, change laws, policies, uh, and help us out of the crisis we find ourselves in. Dr. David is one of those people. Uh, So great to have him on. Man, we are so fortunate to have brilliant people every week on this podcast, change makers, impact makers. Listen, we are, this crisis is getting worse, not better, but I'm an optimist. I think with people uh, like Dr. Dave and the individuals we have on the show, this is very solvable. We can move forward. We can have a country where people do not have to experience homelessness, but it's up to me. It's up to you. All of us together can make this happen and we'll continue to bring amazing people like David on the show week to week. So make sure you join us next week on the way home.
1: I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer.